Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP Practitioner Course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. Hey, hey, welcome back, Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning. And man, I miss you. Um, I hope that you've been having a great week, like each and every week. I know this year has been, um, I mean, kind of crazy to say the least, but one of the things I truly, truly believe is that the entrepreneur spirit is moving the entire country forward. The entrepreneur spirit is what is going to help to to really take us into the next phase of our life altogether. And part of that is giving back and doing what we do. But a big part of it is taking care of yourself too, taking care of your family, making sure that you know if, if we can meet our own financial needs, then we can be able to be abundant and be a blessing and pour out to the other people around us, whether it be employees or family members or friends or our community. So this episode is really all about you and how you can take care of your own financial needs. And one of the things that, you know, how I, some of you have heard my story, how I built really my first quote unquote fortune was all through the real estate world not just being a broker and owning a business, but mostly it was through investing in property. So I believe there's always a time to invest in property and property is something that if you do it right and with the right guidance and the right strategy, right? You can do really, really well in it. And you, again, you can be a blessing to others. My guest this week is someone we call the blissful millionaire. How would you like to be able to invest in property and be blissful while you do it? You don't need to have the same stresses that so many other people seem to have just because you are a property owner. Monica Sawyer reached her financial freedom by turning $10,000 into over $2 million, working only five to 10 hours every month with very little stress, which is the thing I want to focus on this week. She's now on a mission to help as many people as she can to do the exact same thing. Now, Monica, she's been not just a dear friend of mine and a student and a colleague, and we've been each other's clients. She's just been a dear friend for many, many years now. She also hosts the top-rated podcast uh, and the top-charting podcast uh, and radio show, Real Estate Investing for Women. She has one of the very top shows specifically for women in the real estate market. She's been, uh, she's interviewed prestigious guests such as, oh, Matt Browning, that's me, Lisa Gibbons, Dr. Joe Vitale, and Hal Elrod. She's also been featured on stages alongside Suzanne Summers, Martha Stewart, Ice-T, and Coco. And she's spoken in places like NASDAQ, Harvard, Carnegie Hall, and you've probably caught her on TV on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox reaching over 150 million people with this message about blissful investing. So without any further ado, Malika, I hope you're still there after that long uh, introduction. (laughs) 
I am. And I'm like, who is that person? Because like, I want to meet her, right? I want to exactly. meet her. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt, for having me. It's so great to chat again. It, it is. It is. And, uh, you know, do you ever feel like that? Like when, when you start, like you hear this bio going and it's like, you know, you and I, we know that we are not our accomplishments, but at the same time, you've accomplished a ton uh, over the years, so much and so many bucket list type things. Do you ever sit back and like pinch yourself and go, did I really do all this? Am I really reaching that many people? Or does this just kind of become at some point like the new life? Is this just how it is? I th- you know what? I feel you use this word all the time, Matt. I feel so blessed. Like, really? I had all of those opportunities. Really? That many people got to hear my voice. And what's the most fulfilling thing of all is when I get those emails back that say things like, you changed my life, or I heard you here, or I saw you there, and my life is forever changed. So to me, it's just a blessing, and it's always an adventure, right? There's something new around the corner, and all of those things have taken me there, right? Yeah, it really is that way, isn't it? Now, the the vehicle that really started all this long before you were doing TV and radio and, and all this type of thing, you just were a property investor. Um, so I guess one of my first questions, I just want to dive right in if I can, you know, I, I know in your bio, you say you turned 10,000 into 2 million. So you clearly weren't like given a big boost. You didn't have the million dollar loan from your dad kind of a deal. Um, right. How did you, how old were you when you got your first property how did you decide to get into that? What was that opportunity? Uh, and you know, I know we've talked about this, but could you share it with everyone? How did you first get introduced to the even concept of it? And how old were you? Yeah. So my, I bought my first property at 25, but my real estate story actually starts when I was three. <laughs> so, That's much younger. I was much younger. <laughs> so my parents came to this country as immigrants with $200 in their pocket. And they had heard that the golden ticket to to wealth was to invest in real estate. So once I was born, you know, they were filled, you know how new parents are. I know you know this, Matt, right? They're filled with with joy and excitement and hope. And they decided that they were going to build a life for me that they wanted, that was so much better than they could have had in India. So they started saving all their nickels and dimes. And when I was three, they bought their very first rental property. And then they, you know, they stuck the track, they stuck with it. And eight, 15 years later, when I was 18, they paid for my college education through real estate. And they had they, the, the excess funds available. And man, this sounds like, I mean, it's almost the, the quote, every immigrant story that the, the inspirational that we want to follow $200. So they, what did they tell you? Why did they come to America in the first place? Is it the American dream? Was it, it was to escape anything? Dream. It was the American dream. It was Have just freedom. the American dream. They were both big adventures. You can kind of tell from my personality, right? Where I get this. They were big adventures and they, they wanted something better for themselves. Um, and so that's why they left. There's actually quite a long story about why dad made the decision to leave in the first place. It was a political thing. Um, but in the end, the real reason they moved together was for the adventure of a new life. The adventure of a new, and they found it, and they brought you up in it. What they did, and what, then, what was, go ahead. No, so I was going to say, you know, one of the things. So when I graduated from college, it was during a recession. I couldn't find work, and I was completely freaked out about it. And um, and so I, but I had dug my heels in. I did not want to go into real estate. That's also an interesting thing. Like I did this <laughs> kicking and screaming, right? Because the thing is, that I'm even not though, doing the family business. But well, it's not just that. It's that even though I saw how amazing it was, 
I saw my dad getting phone calls from tenants at two o'clock in the morning. I saw his stress. You know, I saw him worrying about money for mortgages. I mean, I really saw a lot of stress in my dad. And um, and you know me, my highest priority is to live a blissful life, right? It has been that my entire life. And, well, and that's the title not, of your first book, isn't it? Choose Bliss, which choose means bliss. experiencing bliss on a daily basis is a choice, which I love your entire take on that. Yeah, thank you for that. So yeah, but that has been my path my entire life, right? So if I was going to do this thing, and to me, um, real estate was a long-term thing, right? A long-term business. It's not a get rich, get rich quick thing. If it was going to be in my life for my entire life, I didn't want it to be miserable like my dad had been. So I was like, no, thank you, you know? And so one night I was sitting with my dad um, over the dinner table and telling him about all my frustrations and all my stress and all my fear. And he said something to me that completely changed my life. And what he said was, you know, Monica, everybody has stress and everybody has fear. And everybody has money issues. Do you want poor people money issues? Or do you want rich people money issues? Mic drop. (laughs) That's really good. I know. And so that's when I made the choice that, yes, I was going to do this whole real estate thing. (laughs) So my husband and I, when we were, when we first got married, we got a bunch of money from the guests. That's what we asked for as our gifts. And instead of buying a sofa or a car or a TV, we bought our first house. So that's or, how or a, a big extravagant honeymoon or something. Exactly. Exactly. We just decided we'd put 5% down and buy a house. And that's what we did. And that's how I got started. Okay. So roughly you're talking like a $200,000 house, give or take, if you're having $10,000 and you put 5% down. So you have a fairly, you know, modest size, depending on where you are, of course, in the country. And where was that? Was it, that wasn't Orange County, California, was it? It was not. It was in San Jose, California, and it was a tiny little starter home. Yeah, I'll buy 200000 even, you know, a few years back in San Jose. That's, yeah, <laughs> you're not getting a ton of house, <laughs> but, it, it, but it was a property. And this is the home you lived in. I, w- I want to just circle back before we kind of leave your, leave your folks here for a moment. You have, and we'll get into some of the strategies and practical application, but you have been able to build a real estate investing career, in your words, with very little stress and and really with a blissful attitude. Your dad did not, but he probably got similar financial results in some ways or another. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the fundamental difference between how your dad approached it and how you approach real estate as a new generation with a different line of thinking? And I'm just kind of first just talking about the attitude and the principles. And then I kind of want to ask about application and, you know, the tactics that were different too. Cause I don't like having a, you know, a tenant call me at 2 AM either. <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. but can you tell me a little bit of some of the fundamental differences between you and your dad, as far as attitude or principles or, or, you know, life, uh, how you approach life? Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause I am, I will say I am very typical of sort of this generational gap from, for immigrants. So my dad came to this country knowing he was going to have to pay his dues and work hard and do whatever it took, right? He dealt with bigotry. He was, he was passed up for promotions. My mom came here with a medical degree from London and it wasn't recognized. So they came here with the expectation that it was going to be hard. And, and 
So when it was hard, they accepted that as that's the way that it is. This is what we're going to need to do. And they just went with it, right? The thing for me as an immigrant's child is I didn't come with that mindset. And I wanted life to be easier. I saw what, how they struggled, and I didn't want that life. And so from a very young age, I had decided that my life was going to be a little bit different. You know, and you don't decide this consciously. You decided it as a child as you see your parents struggle and you feel bad for them, right? And so for me, it was literally as I got older and older and older, like in my teenage years, I realized I needed to have a life that was going to be joyful. And yes, I was willing to work hard. I've always been willing to work hard, but I wasn't going to work miserable. And I was very clear on that. You saw, then you saw what you didn't want and got really clear on the opposite, it sounds like. Did you ever have an example of, hey, I'm going to invest in real estate and it's going to be free and it's going to be blissful and it's going to be stress-free? Did you have any examples of that as you went on your real estate career uh, of what you wanted? You just had the opposite examples and you sought out to avoid it, essentially. That's exactly right. And interestingly, when we moved out of our first home and turned that into our first rental, my experience was very similar to my dad's. I had the similar kinds of tenants. I got the similar phone calls. I had the similar issues. So I was modeling what I knew. And once I had modeled what I knew, I was like, I am not doing this. I went through that whole thing again. Like we sold that house, which I wish I had never done, but we sold that house. I was like, I'm never doing this again. But then I took a few deep breaths, right? Six months later, bought my first rental property. But I decided that this one was going to be by my choice, my systems, my way. So I realized that I was kind of trapped in that same old mindset of what I had seen. And it needed to be different this time. And so I took the bulls by the horn, so to say, on that second property. And you, and you approached it in a very different way. So let's talk about getting into the game, I think. Um, rapid fire is now the time to get into the real estate game or should we wait for the market to crash? I don't think the market's going to crash. I think we're going to see a correction. Um, I think times are interesting right now. So interesting strategies are available to us. I always think that there's a way to invest in real estate, no matter what the market is doing. And the other piece is, this is really long answer, sorry, but this is kind of how I, I think about this. I'm in the market to buy right now. Why? Because I do real estate as a long-term hold. So I give myself the time to be right. Even if the market corrects, it will recover. I just need the time to do that. So as long as you have time that the property cash flows, as long as you look at it as you're holding it for 20 years, 15 years, even if it goes back down, it doesn't change anything, right? That's exactly right. Because the price is still the same. The loan amount is still the same if you have one. The rental is still the same. Nothing right. should change except for the on-paper value. Is that kind of what we're talking about? That's kind of what we're talking about. And, the, you know, the other thing is people keep waiting for the crash. They keep waiting for the perfect time. And what ends up happening is years go by. By the time a correction comes, it doesn't even hit where they could have bought before, right? It's really, really hard to time the market. So instead, make good decisions. Like you say, cash flow, make sure all your expenses are covered, Right. Hopefully you're getting some cash flow. That's hard in California when you first buy, but at least make sure your expenses are covered and then just hold it for a while. And you write out the cycles. The cycles are going to happen. They're nothing to be afraid of. It happens in the stock market. It happens in real estate. It happens in our businesses. I really love that concept. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's just a cycle. And if you know it's coming, 
right? Like this is where I got caught when I started investing as well, real young. And um, by 25, I had 5 million in property and $4 million in debt. And I was one of the guys, I had some negam loans, some negative amortization, but I was betting that it would keep going up. And I got caught in this kind of leverage your current equity to go make more. And I grew very little into quite a bit, but the problem was I wasn't set in a cash flow place with some of the most expensive, some of them were, but a couple of the most expensive properties were negative on cash flow. And I was betting that I could hold them and they would go up before I sold, which is very different, right? This is like when you look at the stock market and you know, people, most people who play, play the stock market are making bets. They're gambling that it's gonna, the stock's gonna be worth more after they buy it. Very few people look at stocks as a long-term investment where you get dividends and I'm going to invest my money. I'm going to get a rate of return. And it's not about the stock going up. It's about the actual interest being paid, the dividends being paid back. And real estate in a lot of ways, I know I'm overly simplifying it, but real estate in a lot of ways is like rental properties like that dividend where you're receiving rent no matter what the house is worth. If it goes up, you receive your rent. If it goes down, you receive your rent. Are you primarily that you're the rental investor, you're that long-term investor for everything? Or is there ever a situation where you do a short-term deal depending? What's your, your stance on that, I guess? Yeah. So it's so interesting because when you're in real estate and you're out there and you're doing the thing, you start to learn about different strategies and you see different kinds of properties. So now every property is not going to match my ideal of now they call it burr, right? Buy, refurbish, um, rent, and then refinance. So I actually have been doing that before. Burr. It was a thing. burr I've right? never heard that. Can you say that again? So it's B-R-R-R? Yeah. So it's buy, um, refurbish or fix, right? Rehab, rent, and refinance and repeat. <laughs> burr. burr. Exactly. So rent and repeat. Okay. Yeah. And so that's just what I have been doing sort of, but you know, now they've given it a name, whatever. But as I'm out there, I see properties that I buy that one, I fix it up and the market just went up. Oh my goodness. I could just sell this one and get a better property. Right. So I have done some flips. I've done actually some wholesales. I'm in the middle of a construction project ground up on a building right now. So every once in a while I'll do some more interesting, fun things because I li like people live and live it listening to your show. They're driven entrepreneurs, right? Uh, they're going to be like, so. yeah, they're like 10 hours a month. I'll get bored out of my mind. Right. <laughs> So it's okay. Make yourself very, very rich. It's something that bores you out of your mind. And then you can play with other things with your business or whatever. For me, it was finding other interesting real estate things to do. Wow. Okay. So sometimes you'll switch it out. I like too that you, that you said like, well, I'll get into the rental property and then realize, hey, it went up a lot. And we probably don't need to get so technical, but you start looking at like capitalization rate and you go, well, if I have this much original cash in this property and I'm receiving this much net income, but now that it went up, if I could turn that and put it into a different property, I could actually raise the percentage of my return back. And then it's just a matter of, hey, you can move things around, right? You can switch investments around. But does your attitude ever really change? Are you still like the overarching attitude is, hey, this is long-term win. This is slow going. I want to do the right thing, make good decisions. What's some yes. of the overarching principles or beliefs uh, or laws almost that you follow? Like what are some undeniable Monica laws that 
you're like, I won't do a deal if this, or it has to be this way. What are some of those kind of principles you follow? So I know blissful is one of them, right? <laughs> blissful is one of them. Absolutely. It's got to support the joy in my life. And I just want to clarify that. It does not mean that I do not have challenges. Every business has challenges. So the fact that it has to be blissful simply means this, that overall it supports the joy in my life. When the challenges come up, they're challenges that I can handle. How do I handle them? Well, first of all, it's with my own um, mental skill, right? My bliss strategies help me to handle challenges and create a more joyful life just, just because I'm living the life that, the way that I am. But the other pieces, the challenges that I'm willing to deal with are the, are the way that I buy my properties. So I like dealing with executives. I like dealing with people that are independent, don't need a landlord to take care of them and keep their houses really nice as if they live in them. So I made a choice early on on the kind of tenant that I was going to want to have. This is kind of marketing, right? You've, you get an avatar for your, your client and then you create a product that that client wants to buy. That's what I did. I didn't know I was creating an avatar in those days, but I knew who I wanted to be doing business with. And then I bought houses that they would love to live in. So then I've got houses. They happen to be houses that I love, right? There are neighborhoods that are beautiful. I love going to visit them. Um, so kind of everything about the business I built in a way that I love. And now when there's a problem, I'm dealing with someone who speaks the same language, will take responsibility, is happy to work with me. There's no arguing. There's no, there's not a lot of the stuff that you would deal with in different kinds of properties. So. And to your point, very much like running business where you can decide, Hey, um, what kind of client do I want to work with the most? And it's not about, sometimes it's about low end pricing or high end pricing because of what that means. It's not necessarily the money, but to your point, if you have executive housing, and you have someone who generally makes more money, is taking more responsibility in life, it's going to be easier to deal with problems as they come up and you're going to have, a, a, I don't know, more of a, a normal conversation, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, and you know, th- there needs to be low-end housing, there needs to be high-end housing, there needs to be all these things, but you don't have to be all things to all people. I really love that idea of treating rental property like a business, because it is. Uh, in some cases, it actually literally is, right? You have entities and everything. Um, but, you know, treating it like a business and treating your renters, your tenants, like clients to work with, that to me changes the game. You know, it I think does. I think a lot of uh, property owners would look at tenants as almost a necessary evil, right? Where it's like, oh, you know, I have my dang tenant and oh, they're always wanting this or whatever. But treat your tenants like a client. They're, I mean, in some cases, you know, what what's an average rental price, uh, monthly or annual rental income for a house? For an executive house like mine, sure. Um, so my rents range from between three thousand and five thousand um, for a month. Per month, exactly. So you're talking about in some cases. I mean, let's let's consider this as a business. If you have a five thousand dollar a month rental amount, now some people might go, "Oh my gosh, that's crazy!" But hey, plenty of homes. If it's the right home, the right neighborhood, and it's the right need and desire, yeah, that's right in there. Especially in Northern California. Mm-hmm. But if you have a five thousand dollar a month tenant. That's the equivalent of having a $60,000 annual contract, right? You have a $60,000 client. How would you treat a $60,000 client? And who would you want to work with at that level, right? Is that kind of where we're going? That's exactly where we're going. And also understand, what if you were that $60,000 client? What would I want? What would you want? 
you don't want to be treated. There are certain ways that you're going to expect to be treated, right? So, you know, you guys, you go out and you pay amazing Matt Browning to, to do some coaching for you and you pay him 60 grand. You're going to have an expectation. Sure you do. Everyone right? does. Right. And these guys have an expectation of me. Now, whether they're paying $60,000 a year or $6,000 a year, they still have an expectation. And I think that the misconception is that they don't have a right to an expectation because you're providing a house. But, That's really good. Right? Everybody has a house. <laughs> right? Hopefully, not everybody, but most of us, right? Sure. Um, can you be the person where they want to stay in that house for a long time because you're meeting their expectations and you're treating them with respect? Yeah. And you're, it's like, then you start thinking along the lines of what can I do for them? How can I make their life a little better? How can I enhance this experience? Exactly. You know, that's the, to me, that's the equivalent of owning a restaurant and going, eh, you know what? Everyone's got to eat. So, you know, let me just get the cheapest food I can make the most money I can because they all got to eat at some point. So I might as well just shove food down their gullet. No, if you want to have a successful restaurant, you think, okay, how can I entice these clients to come back time and time again? How can I get them to be regulars with me? How can I exceed the ex? I love that so much, Monica. Um, as we as we kind of move on from here, I want to ask just a little bit of advice, I guess, you know, at this point too. So what advice would you give to somebody starting out? Um, we missed the last cycle, let's say. I'm just sitting here and I don't have property and I feel like, oh, how about this one? I've, I've actually heard this a lot from people I know. So if you're listening, people I know, this is the one for you. I definitely want to get a house, but I have debt right now or I have too much debt, whatever the number is, because everyone has a number in their mind, which is subjective to them. I've had some people say I have too much debt and I, well, how much is too much? Well, I have a credit card with $3,200 on it and I just, you know, I don't know what to do. So when I finally get that paid off, then I could look at a property and maybe it's 200 grand in, in education loans, whatever it is. What would you tell someone starting off if they have some debt now? Should they buy, not buy, and why? Mm, that's a really, really good question. And I have to admit, I have never carried debt. So I'm not, I'm not able to, I have not been able to really give good advice around managing debt. But here's the thing that I will say, just based on sort of my philosophy on life, consumer debt is never going to move you forward. So whether it's credit card debt, it's um, student loans, those things are very, very real, but those things are not going to move you forward by paying them off. So what I would do is create a strategy where I am paying the least amount of interest on those things. So I, I designate between cheap money and expensive money. Expensive money is usually credit card debt, right? So if you're paying 18%, you want to figure out how to stop paying 18%. Student loans tend to be a little bit cheaper, so you can carry them a little bit longer. I tend to, so I would divide money this way. I would say take half of what you have as discretionary saving income, pay half off for the, the expensive debt, save to buy a house and buy a house as soon as you, as you possibly can. The thing about a home is if you don't own your own home, there's so much money going away in rent and tax benefits and appreciation and the benefits for your future. So the very first thing is to buy your own personal home. And the other really cool thing about that is you can get a home for very, very cheap. Like if you're going for a rental property, you need to put 20% down, 30% down, something like sure. that. But if you buy your own personal home, you can get in for 3% down. 
So, so I would take a look at, make sure you get into a home as fast as you possibly can. The other thing about that is that's acquiring cheap debt, right? So and cheap you, debt, meaning the mortgage interest rate on a primary residence home, you know, roughly is going to be in the three to 4% range, probably depending exactly, on when you do it. Exactly. And to your point, that's a tax deductible rate, which is huge. And that means whatever income you make on a job or in your business minus all of the interest you pay in your mortgage, and then the government taxes you. It's a huge, huge benefit. So, you know, again, without going too technical, it's as if you drop the effective rate even lower than that because of all the extra savings, right? That's right. And a lot of people will come and say, well, I pay this much in rent and I can't afford a mortgage. If you, you actually go. calculate out how many benefits there are to having a mortgage as far as the tax benefits and all of that stuff, you almost can't afford to rent, right? Because you're just throwing money away, right? So, so really the very first thing, the very first success, like financial success strategy that I tell people is get a house, do whatever you can, put 3% down, 5% down, get a house. My life is what it is because I made that choice. And, and so good, Monica. And you're talking guys like, you know, depending on what area you're in and so forth. I mean, a $350,000 home, you know, if you follow a 3% down, that's in the neighborhood of 10 grand. And yeah, that's a lot of money in some ways. It's not a lot in others, but it's definitely a doable amount. Mm -hmm. Even if that's a huge number for you, if you save and you make that plan within a period of months or a year or so, most people would be able to save that amount if you have a plan for it. So, you know, listen, Monica, her strategy is, Take half of what you'd be able to save. So you got to get a, you know, get yourself a budget, get yourself, even if you run your own business, you have to get yourself a budget where you have a set amount of what you're expending. And then when you have that income come in or the surplus income, a big sales month, now you have all this extra money that instead of spending it on whatever comes up, you get to say, now let me take that and split it and send half of it to pay off debt. That's bad debt and half of it to save and start moving towards this. Really, really good stuff. Um, so at the end of this, I expect everyone's gonna own their own home. That's amazing. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and as we wind down, it's got a couple more questions for you, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. um, out of state investing, that's something that's been coming up a lot. I've been meeting people in the speaking and seminar circuit that will have, like they have a deal where they kind of do these turnkey properties. And I'm not so much asking, should you do that strategy? But there's a lot of people that say like, oh, they're all around Ohio or all around Florida or Atlanta or Los Angeles. Do you, if I'm not from there, do you like the idea of finding a hot spot and going, I really like this town for these different reasons, et cetera, and invest there? Or do you always like to be closer to home for you know, different various uh, positive reasons, of course. Yeah. So, so far I have invested all at home, um, mostly just because I am a little bit of a control freak as many entrepreneurs can relate to. <laughs> and I like to have control. I don't know what companies. you're talking about. I know. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, but right now I will admit, Matt, that I'm going through a transition. For me, it's time for me to be paying more attention to cash flow than appreciation. The California market, I do cash flow, but it's really about the appreciation. And as David and I transition to the possibility of retiring and starting to travel again and that sort of thing, we're looking at how can we turn this more into cash flow. And cash flow markets aren't 
um, aren't readily available here. So now we're starting to look at other markets. So yes, we're doing that. And here are some of the tips that I'm using for myself that might help your listeners. Um, Ready, go. Yay. <laughs> First of all, you want to find an operator that you trust. The, I think the operator is more important than the market because in, you can go into a hot market. We saw this happen in 2008 in Henderson, Nevada. I don't know if you remember this whole thing. Oh, I do. Right? Everybody goes into Henderson. I saw people 10 years later, buy, like they were selling their Henderson pro properties for pennies on the dollar. I actually know somebody who bought it for 400, sold it for 50. Wow. Right? Yeah, I, I remember when that was happening with Florida condos, mm -hmm. Vegas condos, Henderson houses. There were some Chicago. hot- yeah, yeah, Phoenix, Scottsdale a lot too. There were these hot pockets that right. everyone got, you know, it was like, we got to buy tulips. Tulip bulbs are worth $10 zillion. Exactly. And, and they got caught up. What was the problem with that though? Well, it, it, because it was speculation, there wasn't the foundation for why they were growing. They just became hot pockets, right? What you want is you want to make de decisions based on the foundations of community. Do they have the numbers of jobs? Do they have the resources? Do they have um, universities, like, do they have those things that is going to cause the community to be sustainable over the long term, right? Um, in California, do they have great weather, right? Why do we get so many people here, <laughs> right? I have so, no idea anymore. <laughs> exactly. So, so for me, a hot market is awesome. But I really want an operator who knows what they're doing, has been in that market through a couple of cycles. This is key. They have to have been in that market for a couple of cycles so they can see the way that the market reacts. They know how to handle tenants when things go are, become difficult. They know how to handle their properties, right? So for me, that's a really, really big deal. I am looking at a couple of operators that I really, really love. They are introducing me to a couple of other operators that they highly recommend. I'm building relationships with them. I will make decisions based on those operators and then what markets are they are they um, covering? Now, some of those markets are going to be higher appreciation markets. I love my appreciation. It's hard for me to let go of that. I mm. may take a little bit of cash flow, a little bit less cash flow for that. But um, I'm really going with who's the operator that I trust and then picking my favorite market out of their markets that they offer. Does that make sense? Yeah, very, very much so. I love... Um operator and long, you're, you're going back to the same principles, Monique, because you're talking long-term uh, sustainability. You know, is this a college town style? Are there, you know, hospitals around? What's the job market like? What's the economy like? Um, and and it, that was a problem back then. Some of this, all that speculation was just, hey, it's only this much and it's going to go up. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I've always said when, you know, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, or Bitcoin, whatever it is, once, you know, the elementary school teacher, no offense intended there, or your cab driver, your Uber driver is starting to say, hey, you should really, you got to buy Apple, or you got to get Bitcoin, or you need to invest in this in Vegas. That's the time when I say run. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, so it's the, true. The person who's not in there, right? You know, you, you read a book like The Richest Man in Babylon, you know, from back in the day, and it's kind of one of our favorites you talk about the guy who who goes over to the East and, and gets hosed trying to invest in gems and precious stones because he's out of his element. He has no idea what that whole world is like. So if you have no idea what real estate is like, 
still to your point, if you find a place that's going to be a home you want to live in, in a lot of ways, as long as you can afford the payment and afford the down, you can't really go too wrong if you're going to stay in that home. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You've got to live somewhere. You might as well have it be something that you own, right? Very good. Well, Monica, um, as we wind down here, I know uh, you are doing so much, not just, of course, for your own investing, but you've really, um, you've really reached out in the last several years and been giving back. You've been paying forward and helping a ton of everyone, but especially women, uh, to be able to real estate invest through your podcast, Real Estate Investing for Women, through your best-selling book, Real Estate Investing for Women. Guys, check out Real Estate Investing for Women. But I know you also have a, a very cool like a, a blueprint or a gift. Um, could you talk about that a little bit and tell us where we can get that and find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So the best place to find out more about me is at blissfulinvestor.com. It's got the podcast, it's got my books, it's got programs. It's got all the TV stuff. So you can kind of see, you know, get lots of good advice from watching, right? <laughs> so that's an op- that that's the best place to go. You know, one of the questions that I've gotten the most from people is, Monica, how did you do that? How did you start with $10,000? And now you're talking about retirement. Like, how did that happen um, without so much stress? And so I put together what I'm calling the rental property riches blueprint, <laughs> which really is the blueprint of what I did. It tells you where I started. It tells you the mistakes that I made, you know, I bought at the top of the market in 2001 and I bought at the top of the market in 2008. Ouch, in both of those cases. But I bought to hold, right? And so it tells you, and how did I afford those other houses and what was my strategy around that? So it gives you the entire blueprint from 10,000 to 2 million, um, how I did it. And you can take that and use it as your own education and your own model so that you can do it for yourself. So guys, you go to blissfulinvestor.com and check out that rental property, uh, Rich's Blueprint, and definitely, you know, your new book, Real Estate Investing for Women. You also still have Choose Bliss available, and then make sure you follow Monica at Facebook and Instagram. Um, really good stuff and great application, great tips, and just, I love that you have a, a head in the clouds, this is a compliment, a head in the clouds, blissful attitude towards it, but with a very solid foundation, feet on the ground approach to how you execute what you do. Um, There's not a lot like you. Thank you so much, Monica Sawyer. This has been amazing, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Guys, that's the show this week. Um, Hey, you know, I haven't done a real estate or investment kind of episode in a little while, so I wanted to get that out to you. I think this is such a time you know, my wife and I are right in the middle of, you know, we, I haven't had rentals for quite a while, actually, but we have the property we own now. Uh, we have a rental property. We're looking for the next one. And I really, I just love it. I have not been that financially ahead of the game since the last time I was in real estate. So I can't recommend enough jumping into the game. And if you have someone like a Monica Sawyer in your corner, you're following some of her coaching advice at, uh, Monika Sawyer, and that's M-O-N-E-E-K-A. So Monika, like it sounds, Sawyer, like Tom Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R. So follow her on Instagram, follow her on Facebook, and go to blissfulinvestor.com to get all that stuff. And I'll see you next week, right here. Same bad time, same bad channel with another driven entrepreneur. Get out there this week. Stay driven. That's how we do it. All right, bye-bye. You can go now. Go. Go get driven. All right.